0: Today's episode is brought to you by Flats, a Chicago-based apartment community.
1: Welcome to the Pivot Arts Podcast, where you'll find innovative performances plus interviews with artists and experts. I'm Julianne Ayer, the Director of Pivot Arts, welcome to the final episode in our reimagining utopia season utopia in performance i'll be speaking with damon locks the leader of black monument ensemble as well as raquel monroe and heidi wyron bartlett from the performance collective propelled animals First up is a conversation with artist, musician, and educator Damon Locks, the founder and leader of the Black Monument Ensemble. Their album, Now, was created in the final days of the summer of 2020, following months of pandemic-induced fear and isolation and the explosion of social unrest. Locks states that the artists came together to resist the darkness and express possibility. Hey, Damon, welcome to the Pivot Arts Podcast. It's so great to be with you today.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, it's it's great to, to see you virtually. It's been a while. And congratulations on all the exciting projects you have going on. The release of your new album, Now, with Black Monument. It was described in the New York Times. I loved seeing you in the New York
0: Times. (laughs) It's awesome. Uh,
1: It was described as, quote, up-tempo electric funk and lyrics that spin societal despair into forward-looking optimism. It's quite quite a description there. How did the events of 2020 propel you to create this album at this time?
0: When the pandemic hit... When we all like went into lockdown uh, about a year ago, um, <clears throat> a little bit over a year ago, Scotty from International Anthem contacted me and asked if we wanted to release the song Stay Beautiful, which was a song that was cut from the first album only for time. It was very difficult to cut that song, but in order to have the record come in at the right amount of time, blah, 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 we had to cut it. And when Scotty suggested that we' do that, it seemed perfect. um that song was a a kind of a love letter to an ailing city um, we Chicago had there was a lot of focus on violence in Chicago uh, the leadership of the United States mentioned Chicago a lot in a negative way, and so I decided I would write a song. And I use the metaphor of, um, you know, someone in the hospital getting flowers. Okay. (laughs) And so I kind of immediately after that release, people really kind of appreciated it and it it really, I feel like it was a really lovely offering and it really touched a lot of people and and I was really happy that I could share something, um, of what Black Monument does in this moment so fast forward a month or two um Brianna Taylor and George floyd and Ahmaud aubrey um all die and are all are murdered and um then uprisings are starting in in all of the cities. And uh, according to Instagram, people are turning to where future unfolds. It's a, hmm. it's a record that people are listening to a lot. Wow. And um, and it makes sense to me. Um, a lot of the subject matter from the record are things that are now in the forefront of our everyday lives constantly. Um, and so, I started to think about what you know what would be what would black Monument say uh in this present moment you know um where future unfolds most of the lyrics were written in 2017 and 2018 and uh you know what would black Monument say in 2020 so i started on the journey of writing material for this moment mm-hmm. you know so it was a whole different process. It was mostly like in myself, by myself in my apartment with my sampler, you know, <laughs> okay. and uh, writing material in the apartment. And um, after, uh, after, like I felt like I had some material. I sent some demos, and I gathered the singers in a park outdoors on an afternoon, and we hadn't seen each other in months and months and months. Mm. And this is last and- June,
1: or, did you say? June yeah, of 2020, so,
0: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I said, you know, would you be interested in trying to, you know, record? And they said yes, and so uh, I started to come up with a plan where I reached out to Alex Nglisian from Experimental Sound Studio and was like, hey, can we record outside in the backyard in the garden? And he said, yeah, we can try it. So then, then that's where the adventure started. And then there was the how do we actually do it and how do we do it safely and how do those emotions and what we're bringing you know all emotionally to the table uh, fear um anger you know trepidation excitement community all of these things how do we bring those to the recording hmm. you know they'll obviously come with us but i was like will that make for a good recording hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that that that's the that was the uh, initial kind of push towards this record.
1: Would would you agree with that description that I gave from the times about um turning despair into optimism is that was that your intention with the work?
0: Um I think uh simply put sure. Um I think that there was a there are a lot of themes in the record and I think my overall theme was, you know, what is possible now, given where we are now, how can we imagine something um, possible? So that makes total sense. But I would also say that, you know, if we ever come out of this lockdown, is what I would say, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we ever come out, people are going to be looking for ways of experiencing life again. Yeah. And people... Turned to the arts almost immediately. As soon as we were all, you know, sequestered in our apartments, the thing that helped us the most was the arts. Right. And so the arts can be a, a way of helping us imagine how we're going to see, look, think, move, and um, create in the, the world, you know, as we re-see each other post-COVID. Yeah, 100%. So I think I think that was a that was a theory that I was not a theory <laughs> but that was a theme that I was like operating with um in creating the work that is now.
1: Got it. Yeah, and I I think it's like people were turning to the arts but also the complete shock of not having the live arts really right. has been traumatic for not just artists uh, who you know, are not able to create work with audiences in live space, but not being able to um, connect as an audience member either with, with other people, Mm -hmm. with strangers, um, the lack of opportunity to gather as community in space has been hard, you know.
0: It's super difficult. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the hardest things well, one of the things I didn't realize that was going to be so difficult is I've, I've done a couple of performances via Zoom. And I kind of got over the hump of being able to actually perform. Like, I'd be like, okay, I can perform, uh, you know, from my apartment into this computer. But when the show is over, that's the weirdest part. Like, I found myself, like, picking up my phone and calling... Ben Lamar gay or, or Jeff Parker, like after a performance and be like, okay, so can we talk about yeah. the show? <laughs> yeah you know? So like the end idea of just meeting turning...
1: for all. Yeah. It's an <laughs> exactly. awkward moment. You, right.
0: <laughs> you end, end meeting, and meeting. Then you're like, okay, I guess I'm just back in my apartment totally. you know, by myself. You yes.
1: Know? Yeah. There's no sort of post bar conversation happening.
0: Right. Exactly. It,
1: it is. I hate that moment, even not just for performance, but just in meetings with people where it's like, well, Bye. End meeting. Right.
0: (laughs) Great conversation. (laughs) Goodbye.
1: (laughs) Shutting you off button. Um. Well, let's talk a bit about the audience. Then you know who who do you most want to engage with your work?
0: Uh, it's multi-tiered. I mean, the work. You know, I I think I've been thinking about the work in the what I call the black nod. You know, like I've been thinking about this this unspoken conversation that that black people have called the black nod you know um where you know whether if you're in bed bath or beyond or (laughs) just on the street you might see another black person and be like hey what's up you know right and that kind of to me kind of speaks to this kind of like destabilizing you know united states that we have to live in where you can acknowledge the other person and be like hey what's up you're in bed bath and beyond so am i how you doing um so i feel like Uh, The work I do, uh, I've been trying to operate within the black Mm knot, you know, and sometimes that means, you know, doing work by myself, you know, with ink drawings. And sometimes that means working with like 16 other people from all across Chicago with all different um, influences and life experiences, bringing that to the table as well, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's that layers, right? But that doesn't exclude the rest of the world from appreciating the music. Right. And often uh, often in my uh, music-making career, I've been connected to music scenes. And so that I would make music, and if you went to the empty bottle, then you could see the music, right? Right. Um, But with Black Monument Ensemble, I became much more interested in kind of circumventing any kind of music scene and figuring out ways that this can be accessible a to black people um so they can experience the black nod of it all but also experiencing i mean uh, access to all kinds of people you don't have to be connected to a particular music scene i want the music to be available Mm -hmm. and accessible so people can experience what is happening experience the ideas of the 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 music experiencing the um tonalities of the music and the colors the the artistry of the musicians and performers um and the intention of the work um so I try to look for places like you know cultural centers and um uh, you know garfield park conservatory you know uh to to uh, to make the work visible. Yeah. In a different way than I had, you know, for most of my music musical career.
1: Right. And then just the advantage of being in digital space where it's accessible to so many people. Um and I'm sure, you know, people get different things out of it on different levels just depending on their own personal experience and and their knowledge base. It, tell me more about Black Monument Ensemble. Uh, I know it's large, right? It's about 8 up to 18 people. Uh, who are some of the musicians? How did you guys come together during the pandemic? What what was that experience like? Just making
0: music during COVID. Um, yeah, well, Black Monument Ensemble is as is a wonderful, amazing ensemble that uh, started with me and uh, amazing musician Damian Thompson um, as a percussionist. Um, and I was just doing sound work, and I would bring Damien in to collaborate with um, on particular songs that I wrote that weren't, like, improvised sound work. Um, at the same time, I had started uh, collaborating with the dance company Move Me Soul on on work that we, we performed at the MCA, and um, that started to, you know, the collaboration with the with Move Me Soul, was a continuing thing. The project that was then unnamed that I would bring Damien in of me doing sound work uh, was growing and still happening. At, at a certain point, uh, I had started to conceive of this idea of, of, of writing material for uh, a choir. I decided that I was going to make the collaboration with the choir Mm happened and so i started reaching out to uh the only kind of contact i had was josephine lee at the chicago children's choir um so she gave me a list of five people and it was i think it was joseph philip tremaine Allie, and lauren they came to my studio I think that I think they might have thought I was a crazy person, but they were up for it. <laughs> I knew nothing about how to lay out music for them, you know. I just I sang these, I sang the songs for them, however poorly. Um, and Damien came to the rehearsals as well. I scheduled a, uh, a a performance, and I used my studio as a set or staging, and I opened the doors and put chairs in the studio and out in the hall and then we performed and when that happened everything just clicked but it was a a, it, it was a really amazing like transformative experience and I really wanted to work hard to bring the dancing collaborative to the singing collaborative and I knew that I wanted to expand the 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 musical part um both dana hall and arif smith i came across uh dana he was playing on the same gig as i was and when i was watching him play i was like this guy's phenomenal like i think he would be really perfect for black monument and at the end of that gig i'd asked the person who put the show together nick mazzarella i was like can i have dana hall's contact and he was like oh sure i was funny dana hall asked for your contact oh okay so um, we met for coffee, and I kind of explained the idea, and Dana was like, I'm down, you know, and I was like, great, and then after I got home from that meeting, like I read his Wikipedia page, and my God, the the amount of accomplishments and the, how amazing Dana Hall is, if I had read that before I asked him, I probably would have You've been too scared. <laughs> I would have been too scared, yeah, but he was in, he was like, I got it, and I went to this. Talia Hall show, it was a Round Robin show, and I saw Angel bat uh perform during that, and I knew that she worked at Hyde Park Records right down the street from the Hyde Park Arts Center, and I'd seen her there. And I just had a feeling. I was just like, I think that she'll be good. And so I went down there to ask her, and she was on the phone, and so I had to pretend to look at records, because I was really going to ask her to if she wanted to participate, and as soon as she gets off the phone, she was like, oh, hey, I was just talking to someone who saw you at the MCA. And she, they said that you guys were fantastic. Oh, perfect. And I, and I said, hey, do you want to possibly play with us? And she was like, yes, I will do that. You know, so anyway. All, um, all these
1: coincidences of running into people tra- and, you
0: know. Yeah. Feels like- just trying to follow the, follow the flow. That's when Monique entered. And when Monique entered, also uh, Raina, her daughter, entered, which uh, Raina is one of our singers who's, like, 10 years old, and she opens and sings on Rebuild the Nation. So all of these things just kind of happened naturally. Like, as we were rehearsing for the Garfield Park Conservatory, Raina had to come to rehearsals because Monique needed to bring her daughter to rehearsal. And so then she knew all the songs, and I think, like, the day before, or two days before we did the performance, One person always sang the intro to rebuild a nation and they were like, hey, do you think Reina could sing the intro? And I was like, what an adorable nine year old girl sing. Yes, Yes. let's do that. And then the song just transformed. It it became something larger than I could have ever expected with Reina at the helm of it because I wrote, I can't rebuild a nation. I can't rebuild a nation, you know, and that's in the intro. Raina was doing it from, by heart. And when she sang it, she said, I can rebuild a nation. And I said, if a nine-year-old says she can rebuild a nation, that's the lyric. I'm not changing that, you know. So that built a larger thing than I could have, you know come up with myself. You see? So that is, that's all like serendipitous.
1: Yeah. I I love it. It feels like a big collage of logistics and uh, perseverance on your part is really amazing. Just how, how you had to work to put all of this together. And the end result is fantastic. I mean, I loved listening to it online. I can't wait to have it back in a a live space. Uh,
0: They're completely, you know, Every single person is completely invaluable to the experience, and what they bring to the table is so beautiful. It's just I, I just feel so fortunate to be shepherding this project. Um, it's you know, of course, it's you know, a headache and crazy to like do the logistical things and also like perform and write the material, you know, but. i'm very honored by it you know yeah Um, well you have a
1: huge vision and i think that's what makes it so exciting is that it it's a a large scale project it's very ambitious it takes a lot of people and frankly probably a lot of funding to put it together and um that's what makes it so exciting for audiences is that it is a, mm-hmm. a grand vision.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. You know,
1: we're like friends on Facebook. And I I love all your postings and how you uphold, uplift uh, Black people throughout history. I learn a lot from all your postings. Mm. Good. Uh, and the photos are incredible. The stories that you're telling are amazing and important for all of us to know, in terms of, you know, a lot of black artists throughout history, other historical figures that you're lifting up. So let's, let's talk about both that just in terms of like stories that you most want to tell, as well as, yeah, just, you know, the, the influence of graphic, graphic, art and graphic novels and comic books and sci-fi in your work is also just really unique and interesting to me. Where did all that come from?
0: Well, I think I'll say it like this. Um, I'll I'll start with like maybe comics, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So
0: comics were the first moment that I knew there was a thing that I might want to do that was connected to art, that was connected to my talent as a as an artist i was a as a little kid i always drew but i think all little kids draw you know and i was just drawing random stuff and sometimes people would ask me to draw something and i would draw it and i think i got kind of known in the family as an artist but then again if any kid shows some aptitude towards something the parents are going to be like he's an artist Um, but (laughs) around uh 10 around the age of 10 and I bought a a copy of the x-men okay and it was the first issue with uh, this artist John Byrne and uh, writer Chris Claremont doing this famous run of the x-men and this was the first issue of them doing this um, thing and of course I didn't know that at the time I had never bought a comic book before but I bought this comic book and I loved it like loved it and I was just like That artist, John Byrne, became like the high point. You know, like I was like, I want to draw like this person. Um, So comic books became a real like exciting, like otherworldly thing that excited me. Uh And around the same time, I discovered Doctor Who. And I think that um, the science fiction has always been something that was really amazing to me. And I don't think it was lost on me that, like, the Twilight Zone and, and things like that often had, like, social metaphors involved, you know, dealing with the, the ills of our society through, you know, science fiction. Right. Um, so that was something that I always enjoyed. And I was also kind of – I came up in a time period uh, going to art classes uh In, like, eighth grade, I I started to meet, like, older art students that were, like, seniors. And they were – I was in Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. had this amazing punk scene. Hmm. And so I was introduced to punk music, and I got to see people with, like, mohawks and leather jackets and stuff. And they looked kind of like superheroes in real life to me, like this kind of fantastical thing. And at the time, in the early 80s – escape from new york and mad max all these things just started coming out and this was my jam like all this stuff was super exciting to me so um i kind of followed through you know i was i was watching everything from a clockwork gardens to brother from another planet and all these um cool interesting uh sometimes super disturbing and having to try to figure out what eraser head what was happening with Eraserhead. you know yeah. um <laughs> And um, probably fast forward, you know, uh, from having bands as a teenager, early 20s and Trenchmouth touring all over the country, as a kind of a post-punk band of Trenchmouth touring all over the country, we went places where, you know, I I experienced discomfort, uh, you know, being in these rural places, you know, and then there were people in my band that would see that, you know, the Wayne Montana or Fred Armisner or Chris Zetter, they would see those things too, you know? Um, so it was, um, as I got older into my tw- mid twenties, being an adult away from my family in the city of Chicago, I had run-ins with the police, you know, like I, you know, I've had my hands on the hood of police cars. I've been in the back of police cars and I never done anything. You know, like I actually don't even drink, you know, so um, the, if you took the amount of times that I've been in the back of police cars, and if you added in, if I did had done anything in my entire life, then it may not be a good scenario, you know, Um, I might have been caught up in the system somehow, you know, but um, all of that kind of adds up over years into, you know, a... Loving the narratives, you know. Um, discovering Sun Ra, you know. At the same time as I'm learning more about, um, you know, Shazbot. Uh, hold on, uh, Kubrick, right? Yeah. So <laughs> learning about Sun Ra, learning about uh, Kubrick's films, you know. Like as I grow, I'm collecting all this information, and then also like Public Enemy comes out, you know. So I am holding on to all these things that i hold dear and are like really sparking my curiosity and at some point they start like fueling themselves through the work mhm I- it all kind of it all kind of comes together and at this time i would say that when you mention the like the social media, the, how I present material on social media, I think that I feel honored that um, Black Monument is creating a platform to help me uh, be part of the stream of voices that have been addressing issues, being creative, and creating possibilities. Throughout this time, so you'll you'll find Ruby D and Ozzy Davis, you know you'll find Lena Horne, you'll find um, uh, Barbara Jones, Hugu and Elizabeth Catlett, you know like that I can help whether you hear their voices specifically or their work is kind of their influence is embedded in the work itself, you Mm -hmm. know. And my goal is to keep that conversation happening, keep those voices. Moving, And if I can be part of that stream or that, like, um, you know, progression, then I'm happy to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole lineage that's happening in terms of you looking at uh, Black entertainers throughout history and kind of your place within that. That's really compelling. Uh, when you're talking about just being able to be a platform with Black Monument to have Voices heard, I started thinking about your work with Prison and Neighborhood Arts Project. You've taught at Stateville Correctional Center for several years, right?
0: Yeah, started in 2014.
1: Okay. Uh, how have you changed as a result of your experience teaching artists who are incarcerated? How has that impacted you?
0: Uh, it's hard to say how much it's impacted me. You know, um, I think that. Uh, A lot of these ideals um, have been heightened by this experience. And I knew that I wanted to put art and music to the forefront. I just didn't know what that looked like. What what would it mean to do that? And so I, I thought to myself, well, artists, what I know of artists is that they go into their studio, they make work. And then they show it to the world and the world's supposed to love it. And I thought that doesn't even make sense to me, you know, like (laughs) why would they love it? You know, I was like, well, how about if you go out into the world, have conversations and make work based on that those conversations. Mm. And so that's why I attempted to do. And as I got further and further in it, I knew that it was the right thing to do. And then I got offered to collaborate with peanut. And so once I did that, the first semester Um, seeing what our justice system looks like from that person, you know, from up close. And then also it's 2014. So I was coming out and like Mike Brown would be murdered, you know, going, this is really like what's happening and what does it mean to be an artist in this time? You know, like, is it really, really good mark making? Is that what is important in this world, you know, right now? And so... Um, After that first semester, we had done a project called Freedom Time, where the guys, and you know, um, but the guys did uh, 100 frame animation based on freedom or time from their perspective and the perspective of people that have life sentences. Um, And when I got done with that project, I thought, I don't want to do work that is less impactful than this mm. this is going to set my set my bar yeah you know um where it is a collaborative project that you know brings the voices of people that you not don't normally hear from to the forefront and ask questions so i kind of set that as a bar and so when thinking about creating a new a new sound a new group a new way of operating as a group i thought well how can i make it available to people like i just it just opened me up to being like how can i help these the the voice of the group and the multiple voices of this group get out there and also how do i create an experience that is valuable for the people playing and is valuable for the audience you know so just the the yeah, working at Stateville really kind of made me think deeper about all of the work and how it's shared and what it looks like and what's saying.
1: Yeah. And also the impact on a larger audience for those of us that aren't interacting with the justice system, who don't know what it's like to live in a maximum security prison, really getting those stories out to us. I think is so important in terms of, uh, making change, you know, mm-hmm. that part of the problem with our prison system is that we lock people away and we never hear from them again. And exactly, uh, it it's horrific. And to get those stories out and to make all of us think about what kind of systems we're creating is, is so important. Turning back to optimism, though, what is your most fervent hope for the future? What do you want changed for black people in this country?
0: Well, that's a difficult question. Um, there's the, there's the uh, realist in me, there's the uh i mean i don't subscribe necessarily to afro pessimism but i understand it um but there is um uh, I, I think i think knowing this the systems that are in place and the hurdles that there are and the you know, crushing disappointment that we are not as far along as I at one time thought we were in terms of race relations in this country, Um, I, I think I'm left with the, I don't know, the basic idea that is behind now to imagine what is possible and try to make that happen. You know, and then, and for me, you know, the, um, the radical imaginings is the possibility to imagine, you know? So I, I hope for black people and, um, all people that are trying to make this world better, like maintain that, that ability to imagine you know, because if we can't imagine something, then we're never going to get anywhere, mm-hmm. you know. So that's that's that would be my hope.
1: Yeah. How do you think performance can lead us on a path towards a better future?
0: Um, I don't know. I just think I think that art is just it is a kind of life affirming thing and art in all of its all of its um, forms and I think that that's something that is utterly necessary for us to feel human you know um, you know. and most of these, most of the arts so many of the arts require you to work with other people and collaborate to make something bigger than yourself and these are all things that help us um, just help us l- like connect and communicate better. So, uh I I'm very excited even with the fears, very excited to return to the communal spaces of of sharing ideas. That's why I, that's something that I miss a lot, you know. Just I mean, you know, just hearing like notes, you know, shared notes like the idea of when I'm with the singers again and I get to hear this, a song being sung, you know, it will be so nice. So um, yeah, in the future, I what arts can bring is like, I don't know, it can like really fill the heart.
1: Like we were saying right at the start of our conversation, the pandemic's shown a bright light on how we need the arts everybody's turned to streaming but also the limits of streaming that watching shows on netflix it's not enough we need to hear or even listening to music like you said like i listen to a lot of music but it's just the power of that shared experience with a community of people who i don't know personally sharing a live experience with them is so necessary to our humanity Mm -hmm. progress uh, and uh, creating understanding between people Mm -hmm. who are different from each other for sure I agree well I'm I I'm let's you know let's keep in conversation I I'm so excited about your work black monument I loved listening to it I can't wait to see it happen and bold strokes and thank you so much for being with me today it's so great to chat with you
0: yeah likewise thanks for thanks for having me appreciate it
1: following is now forever momentary space from the album called now by black monument ensemble lyrics and compositions by damon locks
2: to important? More than important, brother. This is the beginning, not the end.
3: I was with you,
2: and we were places that we'd never been before, and, and we were just running, you know, like like through a green forest just laughing and dancing. And then the trees turned into a million people. And we just kept laughing and and dancing and and telling them how much we loved each other. would you say? That one. Yeah. Mm. That was a forever momentary love, space. That was a momentary space. Breasts, like, yeah. Breasts, yeah. yeah. I hope y'all don't cut the cicadas out. That ending. Ooh, that they sounded best. good. It was really How's was you
1: Alex? We just listened to Now, Forever Momentary Space from the album called Now by Black Monument Ensemble. I'm now joined in conversation with Raquel Monroe and Heidi Wyron Bartlett of Propelled Animals, whose installation stated appeared as part of the 2021 Pivot Arts Festival Reimagining Utopia. I'm so grateful to be here today with two members of the ensemble Propelled Animals, Heidi Wyron Bartlett and Raquel Monroe, welcome to the Pivot Arts Podcast. It's so great to have you both here.
2: It's great to be here, thank you.
3: Yes, thank you.
2: Um, We are a collective of artists, of interdisciplinary artists, and we do uh, socially engaged, site-responsive work. Um, We are uh, sculptors, graphic design, painters, musicians, dancers, choreographers, and storytellers. And we we really are intentional about working in nature, working in ritual, and thinking about bringing the outside in. And um, so most of our work ap- um, happens, like we said, on sites and in response to the places that we're in, and not so much on the proscenium stage. When we do have instances where we're working in the proscenium, we try to transform it um, so that audiences can actively engage with our work.
1: You guys have such unique backgrounds as visual artists, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary artists. Can you tell us a little bit just about who's in the ensemble and just what your various artistic
3: backgrounds are? As Rocky said, we are quite the crew and we are original original members all met at the University of Iowa during a residency that Esther Baker-Tarpaga was in as a Grant Wood Fellow. She was a choreographer and she was asked to teach this collaborative class, which then I was a part of, and Barber was in my my cohort in grad school, and so he's like, what's going on over there? And then we all started to bond over, and we didn't know each other. Like he had just started, I was uh, a year in to my MFA, and then and then Esther's very much a connector and choreographer Barbara's the painter, he's also a sculptor, performer, musician. I am, have a background in sculpture, in intermedia, in filmmaking. And then when we were all like once we left the University of Iowa, we still had connections to Iowa City and were able to work in the city and pull Raquel Monroe into the mix. And at the same time that we pulled Raquel in, our scholar, performer, choreographer, guru, into the space, then we also, at the, sa- the same year, we actually pulled Courtney Jones in, who is a trumpeter, a musician, who guest appears in some of our work. And then the next year, we pulled in, we were lucky enough to bring uh, Papa to our group. And he's from West Africa. He's a, a griot musician and also just like provides this healing sonic space and energy to the group. And then each time we also bring in others from the communities where we are. Um, I was looking specifically at one of your works,
1: Ladies of the Rock, which it said on your website, interrogated the relationship between black and white women. I'm jealous, like I wish I had been in that space with you. That's what a valuable conversation to have. Um, could you talk about what have you two learned from working with each other, from working with other diverse collaborators
2: in your group? You know, um, that is something that we are intentional about. I mean, as it, to be honest, as it turns out, it just so happened that we were this interracial group. But then what we and part of that is um, the origin story that Heidi shared, and the other part is that Esther and I met in graduate school as well, but um, 20 years ago. Yeah, I have to pause because it is <laughs> it really was 20 years ago. We met I know. Time we, flies. we met 20 years ago in graduate school and we've been friends and had children and have maintained and deepened our friendship over the years. And, um, and we don't find necessarily that that happens between, you know, black and white women. And when it does, it's because there's intention and, and work being done there. You know what I mean? Like, um, Esther's actively working to be anti-racist and um, and asking questions and attending workshops and facilitating discourse and doing the work to undo, as well as I am, right, to undo racism in our lives and in our country. And so we realize for propelled animals, all of us, that that's actually a um, what's a good word to use? Like a
3: like a foundational a
2: structure. foundational structure and, so, and like a, a a skill that we therefore have as a group that, that we have we're able that we can offer. Well, uh,
1: can you talk more about some of your other projects? How you blend site specific multi arts performance with your
3: anti racism anti oppression work? I th- I think the, a great example of that jumping off of what Rocky was just talking about was that first performance in 2014 hands up make this not us against them which was performed at the Space Place Theater on the University of Iowa's campus and this was like a well, it was a really intense moment Michael Brown had just been murdered like there was so much and Ebola was ravaging parts of West Africa which is where Esther's husband is from and that and a lot of the Iowa grads are living in Iowa City is not exactly a diverse place. It's not a place that's very friendly to black people or anybody who's not white. Like it is it is rough. And so like a lot of the students were it was the first time for them to really think through the trauma they'd experienced through their body. So it's like how do we embody like the, all of those feelings at once. So we we're trying to capture that. And that piece was it was in the, and I'm putting air quotes, like dance department, but it was bigger and it involved arts students, grad students, it involved community members and people who just wanted to do performance workshops with us. And then it grew into a it grew to a more p- traditional proscenium piece because it was really uh, birthed in the dance department, but it was reaching beyond that. And it was because of that performance that we were able to then go to the Englert and do this wild performance that was right after the the Pulse shootings in Florida and that was when Rocky joined us two years later and it was just like it seems I mean it, there's always trauma there's always terrible things happening in the world unfortunately and it seems like every time we get together there's some like massive like traumatic life-changing event mm. that shifts everything yeah and so we're always like aware of that so we can plan so much we can try to plan for what will happen and then we can't ignore uh the murder of black people by police in our communities and we can't ignore these things and so they sort of emerge with each with with each performance.
1: Yeah and it seems like there's such a healing aspect for audiences in your work that it's almost a cathartic experience when you're responding to these moments of trauma that are so relevant and happening in the moment. Um, Rocky, do you want to just talk a little bit about just how some of your events engage audiences?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that what's important about the work to tag on to what Heidi is saying is also, um, and and, to, and also what you're talking about, Julianne, in that that, that healing aspect is, is because of the way that we center nature, because of the way whatever city, town, state we're in, we spend our time and our practices are outside because we understand the necessity of turning over the trauma to something bigger and something greater than us. And nature is bigger and greater than all of us. And um, even when we, if we choose not to pay attention, it's it's always teaching us, right? So, so we, so so that's embedded in our practice, and that is what offers. That, that healing. And we're just simply opening ourselves up and being, and being willing to, to know that and engage with it and offer that to audiences.
1: What is an ideal propelled animal's performance experience in 2023?
2: The first thought that came to my mind was, the first word was frolicking.
1: <laughs> Please we need to frolic definitely. Yes.
2: I I just imagine in 2 years we will f- be frolicking. One of the things that you know I've noticed that we do and I'm grateful for is that all of our work builds on our work. It builds on our work and it builds on the moment. And so I'm just imagining us being able to truly occupy an outdoor and indoor space simultaneously and people and we are encouraging and choreographing frolicking frolicking and like maybe we won't be mourning like we're always like we always are and maybe we will be celebrating um what's blossoming now which I do believe that you know we are in the in the, a precipice of, of, of change. And so that's why this moment is so difficult because change is difficult, but on the other side, there's joy. And even in this moment, there's we, we find joy. So I'm imagining that we're gonna be in a moment of frolic.
1: I am right there with you in that moment of frolic. I can't wait for the music, the hand holding, the touching. <laughs> Engaging with people out of the Zoom screen. Uh, Let's just take Zoom and throw it into the ocean, but without causing any more climate (laughs) catastrophe. (laughs) Uh, Love those images. Heidi, any final thoughts from
3: you on future Utopian performance? I just wanted to say that while Rocky was explaining that, I had a big smile on my face the entire time. So I'm in a second frolic and I'm also seeing a great fountain in our outdoor space and that we perform in the water and then it goes to the land and then it goes indoors. And it probably goes back to the water in the end. That's the manifest <laughs> manifesting performance in beautiful space next to water.
1: All right, 2023, it's the year <laughs> of frolicking. I'm there for it. Frolicking and splashing, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, we are so grateful and excited to have Propelled Animals as part of the 2021 Pivot Arts Festival. It's so great to be with you two fabulous women today. Thank you so much for chatting with me.
2: Thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you.
1: For listening today. To learn more about Pivot Arts and our upcoming events, go to pivotarts.org and click on Get Updates or follow us at Pivot Arts. Today's episode was sponsored by Flats, a Chicago based apartment community, with editing by Jeffrey Nils Gardner and original music composed by Andrew Hansen. Tama Drumming, courtesy of Propelled Animals. I'm your host and producer for Pivot Arts, Julianne Ayer.